7. Mark 15, 37. Let's go there. Mark 15, 37. And uh, just one verse here today that we're going to turn to. And I'm going to read several, many others, but just going to turn to this first one. Mark 15, 37. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and mercy, and I trust as the word goes out here today that it will be a blessing to all of us and an encouragement and that insight and illumination will come in Jesus' name. Amen. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Of course, this being the Sunday before Easter, Palm Sunday. Of course, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and they laid the branches down and all of that. And uh, But it seemed good today to look at the sequence of events on the day Christ died. Not center in so much today on the triumphal entry, but center in today on the, the day Christ died. Of course, next Sunday being Easter, we, we, we talk about the resurrection, and well, we should. But today I want to talk to you about the day Christ died and the events of that day. Actually, the events began the evening before as Jesus and his Disciples observe the Passover, and he institutes the Lord's Supper. The Bible says he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me. On the table. And then, of course, the disciples get into, into an argument as to who would be the greatest. And Jesus teaches them about servanthood and washes the disciples' feet. Jesus then identifies Judas as the traitor and says to him, What you do, do quickly. And Judas leaves to carry out his betrayal. Jesus then comforts his apostles, he exhorts them, he warns them of many things. And at some point, they sing a hymn and depart for the Garden of Gethsemane. On the way to the garden, Jesus continues to comfort and to exhort and warn his apostles. Jesus then predicts Peter's denial and he says to Peter, he says, I tell you, the rooster shall not crow. Before you will deny me three times that you know me. And of course Peter said that he would never deny Christ. But Jesus said that he would. Jesus also on the way to the garden. Stopped and prayed extensively for many different things. Once they got to the garden. Peter, James and John. Was pulled aside by Jesus. And they departed a short distance from the other disciples. And once they'd separated themselves from the other disciples, 
Jesus moves a short distance from Peter, James, and John. And he prays on three different occasions while Peter, James, and John are asleep instead of watching and praying as Jesus had directed them. Jesus prayed there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. What cup was he talking about? He was talking about the cup of the suffering of mankind. The cup that had to be drunk and endured as a result of man's sin in the Garden of Eden many thousands of years earlier because God told Adam, he said, he said, of all the trees of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you'll not eat of it. For in the day you eat thereof you'll surely die. And once Adam and Eve ate of that tree in the garden, spiritual death entered in, physical death entered in, eternal death, an eternal separation from God in a place known as hell was was brought upon the human race. And all of that was contained in that cup that Jesus must drink. Spiritual separation from God, physical death, eternal death, hell, sickness, disease, poverty, lack, oppression, depression, all was contained within that cup. And Jesus was the only one qualified to drink it on behalf of mankind. And he cries out to the Father and he says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is a prayer of dedication, consecration, and commitment that Jesus prayed there in the garden on three occasions as the disciples slept. And then the Bible says an angel appeared unto Jesus from heaven and strengthened him. And the Bible says that Jesus was in such agony in that garden. And he prayed the more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. When that time of prayer was finished, Jesus said to the sleeping disciples, He said, Awake, my betrayer is at hand. And Judas shows up with the troops. For the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. Of course, the troops arrive, and Judas had made a deal with them for the 30 pieces of silver, and he said that I'll identify Jesus when we get to the garden with a kiss. And so Jesus is betrayed by Judas with a kiss. It's interesting that as Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He looks at Judas and he doesn't call him a dirty, rotten, good for nothing. Jesus looks at his betrayer and calls him friend. And as the troops are there to take Jesus, Jesus went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth is who we're looking for. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. And when he said to them, I am he, the Bible says they drew back and fell to the ground. The power of God hit them. The troops that came for Jesus 
along with Judas, the power of God hit them and knocked them to the ground. And it's interesting, after they were knocked to the ground as they laid there, just leveled by the power of God, after Jesus said, I am he, and they're laying there leveled by the power of God, then Jesus walked over to them and said to them again, Whom are you seeking? Think about that. They couldn't have taken Jesus if he didn't want to go. I said they couldn't have taken Jesus if he didn't want to go. You need to understand that. They came out to the garden to get Jesus. And he he, he said, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm he. And the power of God hits them and levels them. He said, now who, who who are you seeking? They're not taking Jesus if he don't want to go. The Bible says, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. And I take it up again. Somebody say amen. Amen. Praise God. And then of course Peter takes his sword and cuts off the servant of the high priest Malchus's right ear. And Jesus heals it. Think about the love of our Savior. Judas has betrayed him and Jesus is calling him friend. Malchus is there to arrest Jesus. Malchus's ear is cut off, and Jesus isn't standing there saying, See you good, rotten, no good for nothing. See you got your ear cut off. Jesus isn't saying that, is he? He's healing his ear. Isn't Jesus wonderful? The Bible says that all the disciples forsook Jesus and fled. They took Jesus over to Annas' house. He was the high priest. And the Bible says that when he was there, Of course, a detachment of troops had taken him in the garden and officers. They arrested Jesus. They bound him and they took him to Annas' house. While he was over there, you know, some things transpired. And one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand. And then when he was done at Annas' house, Annas sent him over to Caiaphas' house. And Jesus went over there and stood before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. And the Bible says the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward. The Bible goes on to say that at Caiaphas's place, you know, that some began to spit on Jesus and they blindfolded him. And they beat him, and they said to him, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. It's at this time that Peter denies Jesus. The Bible is very clear on that, that that Peter denied Jesus three different times, just like Jesus said he would do. And the one time Jesus... Peter did it within Jesus' earshot because the Bible says that when Peter denied Christ, Jesus looked over at him. It's interesting, a lot of people think that Peter cussed. And they'll say that Peter cussed. And they'll say that Peter cussed. But study some into that and you'll see that Peter didn't cuss like you and I might think cussing would be done. It's interesting as you study into this, the Bible says that that Peter, after he had denied Christ, he began to call down curses on himself. And he swore to them. See, some people say, well, Peter swore. 
Well, he swore to them. He said, I don't know the man. I don't know him. I swear I don't know him. That doesn't mean that he said a bad word. You understand that? And that cussing that Peter did, if you'll study into it, he, he wasn't cussing, like I said, like you and I might think cussing would be done. He called down curses on himself because he felt so badly for what he was doing to Jesus. And so he swore and he said, I swear I don't know the man. He did it three times. And after he did it the third time, the Bible says immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken where he had said before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And the Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know, Peter repented. Isn't it good to know that we can repent? And we know the rest of the story now that God used, Jesus used Peter later on, didn't he? And so Peter did something that was horrible, almost as bad as you could possibly do. He denied Jesus three times. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He was Jesus' right-hand man. And in that, in that hour of pressure, he denied Christ three times, but, but he repented and Jesus used him greatly. How many of you know God still loves us when we mess up? Of course, Peter repented, but Judas didn't. He went out, he committed suicide. And in the process of time, Jesus is then delivered to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And he goes before Pilate the first time. And as he, he's with Pilate, the Jewish religious leaders are accusing Jesus. And Pilate inter interviews Jesus. And Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. And then Pilate, not wanting to have to deal with this situation, he sent Jesus over to Herod's place. The Bible says when Herod questioned Jesus with many words, that Jesus answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused Jesus. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. Think about that. Men of war treating Jesus with contempt and mocking him. Arrayed Jesus in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. The Bible says that very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been enemies. How many of you know when Jesus gets between you and your enemy, you'll become friends? Amen? When Jesus gets in between two opposing sides... Uh, they'll become friends. Isn't Jesus wonderful? But nonetheless, they arrayed Jesus in that, in that robe and they sent him back to Pilate. And so Jesus comes before Pilate a second time. Of course, Pilate's wife had suffered many things in a dream that day because of Jesus. And she went to her husband, Pilate, and said, have nothing to do with that righteous man. The Jews then had a custom that a prisoner could be released at Passover. And of course, Pilate asked them, would you like me to release Jesus? But they said, no, we don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas, who was a murderer and a fierce criminal. And of course, uh, as the Bible goes on to say, the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus put to death. And 
Then it's at that time that Pilate went over to the basin of water and he washes his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Pilate then released Barabbas to the crowd. And Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with this Jesus who is called Christ? That is a question that every man, woman, boy, and girl must answer. What will I do with this Jesus who is called Christ? And they said to him, let him be crucified. The Bible then says that Pilate's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and they gathered the whole garrison around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. It's at that time that I believe that Jesus was scourged and he was beaten. And actually, as you study it out, his, his back was split completely open. Think about Pilate's soldiers, a whole garrison of them gathering around Jesus. Stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him. And they had twisted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. You need to understand that crown of thorns is not the way it looks in most motion pictures. Uh, Those thorns were probably about six inches in length. And when they put that crown, it it was a cap of thorns. And they put that down on his head. His head began to swell and blood began to gush forth. They twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee, Pilate soldiers bowed the knee before Jesus and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him. The Bible says they plucked his beard. Think of that. They took the reed. They struck him on the head. You need to understand that Jesus didn't deserve any of that. You and I deserve that. And he was there as our substitute standing in our place. Pilate then presents Jesus to the crowd saying, Behold the man. The religious leaders cry out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate says, I still find no fault in this man. The religious leaders tell Pilate he ought to die. Jesus ought to die because he said he was the Son of God. When Pilate heard that, he became more fearful and interviewed Jesus again. Pilate tells Jesus, he said to Jesus, Don't you understand that I have power over you, Jesus? I have power to crucify you or I have power to release you. And Jesus looks at him and says, You have no power over me at all unless it was given you from above. Amen. Glory to God. How many of you know Jesus could have walked out of there at any time? He could have. Is that wonderful? Why did he stay? Because he loves you and me. Amen. The religious leaders tell Pilate, That if he lets Jesus go, if he lets him free, that Pilate won't be Caesar's friend. And that they have no king but Caesar. They cry out out again, crucify him, crucify him. And when Pilate's soldiers, because you see Pilate then gives in to the crowd just to please the crowd, he gives in. And now he's going to turn Jesus over to him, you know. To his, to his soldiers again to be crucified. And when Pilate's soldiers had further mocked Jesus, they took the robe off of him, they put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to Golgotha, or Calvary, 
known as the place of the skull to be crucified. At some point on their way from Pilate's place over to Calvary, Jesus bearing his cross because there were two thieves that went with him, but Jesus was bearing his cross, and at some point he fell under the weight of that cross. You have to understand that Jesus had been beaten immersively, as we've, as we've stated. And, and at some point he falls under the weight of that cross. He can carry it no further. So they chose Simon of Cyrene out of the crowd to carry, carry Jesus' cross the rest of the way to Calvary. As he goes along the way, Jesus prophesies to the weeping daughters of Jerusalem. Upon arriving at Calvary, Jesus was offered a narcotic drink. This was before they put him on the cross. This drink was offered to people that were going to be crucified. It was a, it was a show of mercy, more or less, by the Romans. It was a stupefying drink. It was a narcotic drink. It was a painkiller that they would give to people that were going to be crucified to, to, to make it a little easier on them. And actually it was really to make it easier on the soldiers because it was easier to crucify uh, the criminals if they had this stupefying drink in them. But Jesus refused to drink. Later on he did drink, but it, but it wasn't this narcotic drink. They offered him this narcotic drink, this painkiller, before they crucified him. And he refused. Upon then arriving at Calvary after they'd offered him this drink and he refused, they crucified him. Real loud, say they crucified him. Say it one more time, they crucified him. They crucified him. 9 a.m. in the morning, approximately 9 a.m. in the morning, Jesus is crucified. He's hung upon the cross. You have to understand that this was a form of Roman execution. Jesus had already been beaten immersively. He'd already been through a terrible amount of pain, a terrible amount of suffering. And now he's being crucified. As they lay him upon the beam of that cross and they drive those spikes, those nails, those spikes into each of his palms or wrists. As they drive in those, those nails, they, 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 they drive those nails between his feet. They put the right foot over the left. They drive that nail in. And then they lift him up on this, on this cross and they drop it down. And when it drops down, the Bible says Jesus could feel all of his bones. Not a bone of his body was broken, but he could feel all of his bones. Hanging there suspended between heaven and earth with a thief on either side, hard to breathe, blood pouring out. He's there for you and for me. Oh my God, don't ever forget that you and I deserve that middle cross. Don't ever forget that every morning that you get up and every night that you go to bed... Don't ever forget that you had an appointment on that middle cross. Don't ever become lackadaisical. Don't ever become lukewarm and forget that you deserve that place on that middle cross. And so did I. But Jesus came because he loved us so much. And he was crucified there on our behalf. Don't ever get so busy in your everyday life that you forget that you had an appointment on that middle cross. But Jesus came and took your place and mine. Over his head, there was a sign posted in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. This is Jesus of Nazareth, 
the king of the Jews. As Jesus hang there on that cross, suspended between heaven and earth, his first cry from the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. What an awesome cry. What an awesome statement. Think of what they've just done to him. How many people would be crying out, God, strike him with lightning. God, get me out of here. But Jesus knew that this was what he must do. And he cried out and he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The Bible says that the soldiers divided his garments and cast lots for his tunic. The religious leaders in the crowd, because you see there was a large crowd there that day. The religious leaders and the religious hypocrites in the crowd, they cry out and they say to Jesus as he hangs on the cross, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he's the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even on the cross, they're still taunting Jesus and mocking him. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. I'm glad he didn't come down from the cross. How about you? Because if he comes down from that cross, then you and I are destined to a devil's hell. Is that right? I'm so glad that he remained on the cross. Somebody said, well, it was those nails that kept him, kept him affixed to the cross. Well, there's a truth there, certainly. But I tell you what, it was a whole lot more than those nails that kept him up there on that cross. It was a whole lot more than those spikes that kept him up on that cross. He said himself, I could call legions of angels to come rescue me. You know what held him up on that cross? His great love for you and his great love for me. Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't Jesus wonderful? As he hang there upon the cross, the Bible said that both thieves on either side reviled Jesus. But you know what? One of them repented and the other one did not. The one that repented, I'm glad he repented. Lord, remember me when you come in to your kingdom. Jesus then makes his second cry to that thief and he says, you will be with me. In paradise. You know, much is said about a, death re- a deathbed repentance. Many people have said, well, I'm going to just live my life, a life of sin, and then at the last minute, I'll just repent and ask Jesus to forgive me like that thief did on the cross. You know, I read something that I think you need to listen to and let it, let it just listen to this and let, let it affect you. I trust it will like it has affected me. Listen to this. It is certain That true repentance is never too late. But it is just as certain that late repentance is seldom true. Let me say that again to all of you people out there, maybe in this congregation today or by internet that thinks, well, I'll just repent at the last minute on my deathbed. Listen to this. It is certain that true repentance is never too late. That thief repented. 
It wasn't too late. It was a midnight hour for him. He's just got hours to live or however long to live. He repented at the last minute. It is certain that true repentance is never too late. But it is just as certain that late repentance is seldom true. It's just as certain that late repentance is seldom true. I don't want to wait and repent on my deathbed. I want to live a life every day for Jesus. How about you? Third cry from the cross as he looks over and sees his mother. And there's John, the apostle. He says to his mother, woman, behold your son. And at that moment, Jesus turned his mom over to John. Interesting, Jesus had brothers and sisters. He didn't turn his mother over to them. He turned his mother over to John. How many of you many times feel closer to your family at church than you do your natural family? High noon now because Jesus went on the cross at nine in the morning and now it's high noon. The Bible says from high noon until three o'clock in the afternoon, darkness was all over the land. Darkness was all over the land. Darkness was all over the land. Darkness very oft times in Scripture is symbolic of the judgment of God. You see, at 9 o'clock in the morning, Jesus went on that cross as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But at high noon, darkness comes over the face of the land. The Bible says that God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And at high noon, I believe that's when all the sin of mankind, all the iniquity, all the sickness, all the disease, all the mental malady, every iniquity, the punishment for all of that was laid upon Jesus and darkness covers the land. And it's at that time that his fourth cry comes from the cross. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you read the 22nd Psalm sometime, you'll see that's how that Psalm begins. Jesus was quoting that Psalm. And that Psalm verse 1 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Bible says that Jesus was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And if you look at Jesus's life just about everybody rejected him at some point and now he hangs bearing your sin and mine and now God pulls the curtains of heaven and God turns his back upon the sins of mankind and the Bible says that he judged sin in Christ on the cross thus the cry that fourth cry my God my God why Have you forsaken me? A little bit later, the fifth cry comes from the cross. I thirst. And a non-narcotic drink is given Jesus evidently on a stick with a sponge and he partakes. The sixth cry then comes. It is finished. And how many of you know 
that many, many, many things were finished upon that cross. Say amen. amen. But if everything had been finished, then why do we have to have three days later when the resurrection takes place? What happened on that cross? Well, the Bible says in the book of Romans that we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for it. And I'm preaching you the cross this morning. The cross, the cross. We must thank God for the old rugged cross. But thank God more for the one who died upon that cross. And Can you say amen? Yes, he cried out, it is finished. But so many people don't do their homework. They don't understand what he was saying when he said that. Yes, yes, many things were finished. But if you read the rest of the 22nd Psalm, that 22nd Psalm begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It goes for many, many verses, and it pictures the crucifixion. It pictures the Roman soldiers. It pictures the demonic oppression and all of that. And then halfway through that Psalm, the the, the whole theme changes, and it goes from from one of crucifixion to one of victory to to one of celebration. And it's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise God when he's raised from the dead, when he walks out of the tomb. And then that psalm ends with, it is finished. Glory to God. Yes, much was finished on the cross, but there had to be a resurrection from the dead three days later. Can you say amen? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank God for the cross, but thank God for the resurrection. Thank God for the virgin birth. Thank God for the sinless life. Thank God for the beatings that Jesus took. Thank God for the blood that he shed. Thank God for his death on the cross. Thank God for his burial. But thank God on the third day he was raised from the dead. Glory to God. Thank God that he took his blood into the heavenly holy of holies, presented it before the Father. The Father accepted it, and the new birth then is available to you and me. Can you say amen? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God forevermore. Hallelujah. Glory to God. If you can't get excited about that, you need to get saved or you need to get another dip. Amen. It is finished. The seventh cry comes about three o'clock in the afternoon where he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Jesus dismisses his spirit. He yields up his spirit. And he dies physically. The moment Jesus died, the Bible says the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. From top to bottom. Not from bottom to top. Which would happen in a typical situation. But this was from top to bottom as God tore that temple in two. That temple veil. God tore that temple veil in two. See, what, what, what does that mean? Well, that temple, that veil, you see, kept people from entering the presence of God. It kept them from going into the presence of God. Only the high priest could go beyond that veil, and only once a year. But when Jesus died, 
We're talking about what happened when he died, what happened the day Christ died, the day Jesus died, when he died, that God ripped that temple veil, that curtain. He ripped that thing from top to bottom. And now not only the high priest, but all of us as kings and priests, having Jesus as our Savior, all of us can now go in to the presence of God. Can can anybody say amen? Glory to God. The curtain was torn. The earth quaked. The rocks were split. The Bible says the centurion, he was the captain of the Roman guard. And those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened. And these men of war, the Bible says they greatly feared. And they said truly. This was the Son of God. One of the most astounding things in the Bible, yet people read over it and they don't pay as much attention to it as they should. Things took place there at Calvary that made the most hardened of soldiers tremble in their boots. And the very ones that took Jesus up there and crucified Him said, Truly, This was the Son of God. The Bible says that of the crowd, not necessarily the religious leaders, but of the crowd, the Bible says the whole crowd who came together to that site. Real loud, say to that site. Say it again, to that site. And that's not talking about to the site, to the location. It's talking about the site, what they looked at, what they saw that day says the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned home. If you'd have been there that day, I assure you, you wouldn't have been playing with your cell phone. I assure you, you wouldn't have been there bored out of your skull. I assure you, you wouldn't have been there looking all around. I assure you that your attention would have been riveted on what was going on on that cross. And you'd have seen things that you've never seen in a Hollywood presentation. The Passion of the Christ that was put out some years ago, very good, very good, very good, but I do not believe they even came close to capturing. They did the best they could with the physical beatings, but even on that they didn't come close. But there's no way that we could know what it looks like to have all the sin and iniquity and all the sickness and disease laid on one and all the mental malady laid on one man in one place at one time. The Bible says the crowd, they beat their breasts. And they left that sight. Why did they beat their breasts? Because the prophet Isaiah said we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Yes, if you'd have been there, you'd have been riveted on that scene. But it would have gotten to the point where you would have... Because the Bible said we hid, as it were. It was so awesome. It was so gruesome. It was so horrible. 
Little did we know that when Adam and Eve bit into that fruit, that some thousands of years later, the scene was going to be so bad and so horrible that people would be beating their breasts and they'd be hitting, hiding their face as it were. If you and I had been there that day, that's what we'd have done. It would have been so awesome, so gruesome, so terrible that we'd have hid, as it were, our faces from it. We wouldn't have been able to look at We'd have been beating our breasts. We hid, as it were, Isaiah said, our faces from him. Surely he's borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Can you say amen? And the Lord God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Yes, we would have hid our faces as it were. Yes, we'd have been watching it, riveted our attention, but it would have gotten so gruesome that we'd have had to eventually turn away. The prophet Isaiah said, just as there were many who, who were appalled at him, at Jesus hanging on the cross, his appearance was so disfigured beyond, beyond that of any man, and his form marred more beyond human likeness. The Amplified Bible puts it this way, for, for many, the servant of God, talking about Jesus on the cross, became an object of horror. Many were astonished at him. Another version says it this way, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured. He seemed hardly human, and from his appearance, one would scarcely have known it was a man. Another version says it this way, everyone was appalled. He didn't even look human. A ruined face, disfigured, past recognition. Why was that? Yes, the beatings that he took. Yes, the plucking of the beard. Yes, the crown of thorns. But you also have to understand that all the sin, the punishment for all sin, for all mankind, for all time, was laid upon him when God pulled the curtains of heaven, so to speak, and turned his back. All that sin was laid upon him. All that mental anguish. And then think about this. All, why did he look like that? All He bore our sickness and carried our disease. His body was bearing every sickness and every disease. I've gone to the hospital sometime and I, to visit somebody. And I saw one person with one disease. One disease. Just one disease. And they looked horrible. They looked horrible. Can you imagine... Jesus having every sickness, every disease, along with our sins, in his body bearing that at the same time. He didn't even look human. At the request of the Jewish leaders, Pilate had the soldiers break the legs of the two thieves because they were still alive. But since Jesus was already dead, they did not break his legs, but pierced his side, and blood and water came out. 
Joseph of Arimathea requested Jesus' body from Pilate. He wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid his body in a new tomb in a garden nearby the site of the crucifixion. The Jews asked Pilate to set a guard at the tomb so the disciples couldn't steal his body away in the night. So a large stone was placed at the opening. It was sealed and the guard was set. Three days are going to come and go. And if you think this was something, just wait until Jesus comes walking out of that tomb. Glory to God. We'll talk more about that next week, but I want to close with this. We talked a moment ago about Jesus' appearance on the cross. Another version says this, They shall see my servant, talking about Jesus, beaten and bloodied, so disfigured one would scarcely know it was a person standing there. So shall he cleanse many nations. So shall he cleanse many nations. What's that talking about? That's talking about the precious blood of Jesus that was shed. The blood of Jesus cleanses sin. The Bible says Jesus made peace for us with God through the blood of his cross. We have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We are justified by his blood. What does that mean when we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus his blood cleanses us, and it's just as if I justified. Justified never sinned. Isn't that wonderful? With his own blood, he obtained eternal redemption, the Bible says. And the Bible says, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off and away from God, have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Say, thank God for the blood of Jesus. See, the blood of Jesus not only cleanses a sinner... When they repent and place their faith in Jesus, that blood cleanses a sinner and makes them clean, makes them new, washes them clean. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new and all things are of God. But that blood also works. It's also available for Christians when they sin. When you and I as Christians, if we've, if we've been, been born again, we're Christians and we miss it, the Bible says we can repent. And we can confess our sin to, to the Lord and He'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's that same blood that does it. Thank God for His blood. What happened the day Christ died? The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing the world's trespasses to them. What happened the day Christ died? The Bible says that on that day, God wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which were contrary to us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What happened the day Christ died? The Bible says God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What happened the day Christ died? What happened the day Jesus died? God the Father Jesus and the Holy Ghost was demonstrating their love for us. Amen.
Ushers, please pass out the communion. I don't need the worship team. I don't need anyone to come forward. Just ushers, pass out the communion, would you please? Pass out the communion if you would. We're going to receive communion. 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 Hallelujah. Pass out the communion if you would, please. While they're passing that out, I want you to think about this. First of all, if you're here today and you've never repented of your sins, you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you, don't partake of this communion. This is for believers. If you've never repented and placed your faith in Jesus, just let the communion pass you by. We'll receive it. And then after we're done receiving it, there'll be some men and women when we dismiss the service. There'll be some men and women standing up here. If you don't know Jesus, don't partake of the communion. But after the service, come up here and tell these nice people that will be standing up here. Say, hey, I want to I get saved. I want to become a Christian. And they'll lead you into a relationship with Jesus. You'll become born again. You'll miss hell. You'll make heaven one day. Praise God. And then they'll serve you communion. After you become a Christian. However, to those of us who are Christians, we've already made that decision for Christ. While they're passing this communion out, the Bible says, let a person examine themselves. And so let them eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So if you're here today and you've, you've got sin in your life, there's th- I'm talking to Christians now, there's things in your life that should not be there. Right where you're at, you judge yourself. The Bible says if we judge ourselves, we'd not be judged. You judge yourself. Right where you're at, you judge yourself. Repent. Between you and God. It's not between you and me, it's between you and God. See, in the Old Covenant, it was they had to go to the priest. The people had to go to the priest, and he represented them before God. When Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was ripped, and now you go to God for yourself. Amen. So you go before God and just right where you're at, just say, I'm just, just between you and God, I'm sorry, I've missed it in this certain area. Repent. Ask Him to forgive you. He will. Judge yourself. And then we'll partake of the bread and drink of the cup. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Father, I thank you for this that represents the body of Jesus. He said, do this in remembrance of him. So right now we're remembering, we're remembering that Jesus bore in his body our sickness and carried our disease. And with his stripes we're healed. We're thankful that the healing power of God is available. We're thankful that Jesus bore our sickness and carried our disease. Thank you. With a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of remembrance unto Jesus for what he's done. Break now and eat. Father, I thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And as we hold this cup in our hands... This juice that represents the precious blood of Jesus, we do so with a thankful heart, knowing that it's the sacrifice of Christ and the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. We'll never forget about the power that's in that blood. Still as powerful today as ever. Still washes sin. The only 
cleansing agent in existence that will not just cover sin, no, but it washes it away as far as the east is from the west to never be remembered again. We're thankful for that blood that's available to the sinner and it's available to the saint. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We're just so grateful for that, for that precious, precious, precious blood. And as we partake of this, we do so with a thankful heart and a heart of remembering what Jesus did for us. Partake. The ushers will be passing around a receptacle, a receptacle to collect the cups. If you'd stand with me in the presence of a holy God right before we dismiss the service, right before we dismiss, uh, there was somebody had a request for prayer. Do you have your child around? Do you have Go get him. And, and uh, he's been fighting allergies. And uh, how many of you know the healing power of God is still available today? Amen. But we're going to pray for him. Amen. If anybody else would like us to lay hands on him and pray for healing, you can come forward too. My wife and I would be glad to pray for you. Uh, If you need prayer for healing, come quickly. We're not going to take a long time with this. If you need prayer for healing, come right on. We're going to pray for this young fellow. If you need prayer for healing, just line up over here to my right. Just go go on over there and line them up, however many there are. Bring that young fellow in here. Praise God. Amen. Stretch your hands toward these people. Praise God. Stretch your hands toward them. Bring that young child in. Praise God. Amen. Well, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we release the healing power of God. Amen. Be healed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Well, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we release the healing power of God. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the head of the church, we release the healing power of God. Be healed in Jesus' name. The Bible says that the believer will lay hands on those who need healing and they will recover. Amen. Praise God. Stretch your hands toward this young fellow here. Well, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the head of the church, we, we rebuke we rebuke that which is hindering him. We command you to loose your hold. We release the healing power of God, the anointing, the power of God to go forth into his body, to drive out that which is not of God and to bring healing, soundness, wholeness. We curse these allergies. We curse you in Jesus' name. Take your hands off God's property. Hallelujah. Jesus bore in his body our sickness and disease. So for him to have to bear it, it's a miscarriage of justice. So you be healed now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, are you glad you came today? Praise God. Well, greet a couple of people and you're dismissed. God bless you. Thanks for coming.